Hello and welcome to Disc Coverers, the only podcast on the internet that reads, reviews, and ranks every 41 of Terry Pratchett's Discworld series of comic fantasy novels. I am one of your hosts, uh, Iris J, pronouns are she or Z. Um, it's my pleasure to be here on this balmy August day. Uh, I'd also love to introduce my co-hosts here. Let's start with uh, Grace, and then Belina, and then June. How about that? Hello, everyone. I am the Internet's beloved Princess Grace. Uh, pronouns are she, her, fey, fair, if you are spicy. I am Belina. Uh, she slash they is fine with me. Uh, just glad to be here. And I'm Juniper, uh, she, her, and I am glad that I had a movie night where I made a bunch of people watch the Blues Brothers recently. <laughs> made this book much funnier. Yeah, I can't oh, call it yeah. prescient because we already knew this one was coming, but I'd kind of forgotten just how hard it leans on it throughout this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a good choice. It's really, yeah. Today's book that we're talking about is the 16th in the series, published in 1993, uh, Soul Music. Uh, a kind of a redux of uh, moving pictures, but this time about the dawn of Discworld's music industry. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this is this 1995, not 93? Well, Wikipedia says 94. 94? <laughs> Split the difference. The copy I have, well, sometime in the 90s, this book was published. We can't truly know for sure when. Um but yeah, it's a it's an exploration of the dawn of the music industry inside the Discworld universe, centered around a single uh, band, the band with rocks in it, uh, a trio of musicians who are dallying with forces beyond their mortal ken. Um, yeah, this was a really interesting one. I. I will say that, like, after a few books which were, like, tr- jostling for, like, the top spot or whatever, it's nice to have one that's, like, I don't know if this is going to be, like, super high on the list, but it was very solid. And uh, yeah. it kind of felt like a a bit of a return to form. Like, like it, it reminded me a lot of, like, an older Discworld book just written a little bit better. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah, I agree. It, I have a I, lot of thoughts on it. I, 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 that was kind of what I was thinking as I read it. Although, do we want to do the summary first before we yeah, get let into me get, it? Yeah, let me get that bit out of the way here. Right. Well, expert Synoptrix Bellina, take it away whenever you are ready. Imp Isolin, a young bard from Lamados, comes to Ankhmorpork seeking recognition and fame. Stymied by the nature of living in a society, he joins up with fellow starving artists Glod Glodson and Lias Bluestone, suffer, suffers the, also, sorry, also suffers the loss of his harp, finding a magical equivalent to an electric guitar in one of those weird traveling shops that just show up from time to time. Inside of the guitar lurks a primordial strain of music from the dawn of time, which starts playing itself whenever Imp gives it an opportunity. Have gotten, have gotten in a way, Mort and Isabel both die die both off and on and off camera at the same time. Death is as upset about this as anyone and goes on another sabbatical in an effort to forget all about it. As before, with him gone, someone else has to step up, and the universe picks Susan Stohillet, the daughter of the deceased and by extension Death's own granddaughter. She reluctantly gets dragged into this nonsense and immediately starts making the exact same mistakes Mort did. She even tries to save someone from being randomly killed, but before she can, can act, the music saves Imp instead. Susan goes off to figure out what in Blue Blazes just happened, while the musicians christen themselves the band with rocks in, Lias and Imp redub themselves Cliff and Buddy respectively, and the music begins to reverberate throughout the city. 
Runagag's the MOT Dibbler inserts himself as the band's manager, setting up with increasingly large gigs, eventually culminating in a massive free concert backed with dozens of other bands that have sprung up in the meantime. As soon as their own set has been played, the band f- flees from the, their crazed fans, the, the Furious Musicians Guild leadership, and Dibbler himself, who just wants the money that the band sort of accidentally ran off with. Death and Susan pursue in their own chases, the latter because he's the latter because she's still trying to protect Buddy, and the former because he's finally remembered how pear-shaped things go when he forgets himself. To be fair, things do go pretty pear-shaped. The music has decided that Buddy has done what he needs to do, and go, he can go out in a blaze of glory, arranging for the band to crash their carriage into a gorge. When Susan prevents this, it starts twisting history back around to make it happen anyways. Death steps in, briefly stops the music, and lets Buddy start it back up. The music, realizing the position it's in, allows things to resolve as quietly as a sent- piece of sentient music can. History is twisted around one final time, everyone who matters survives the incident, music with Roxanne is relegated to a fading memory, and every- things pull more or less back to normality. Mostly. Yay! Yeah, that's Woo! the book. Yeah, that was well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty much I still everything. feel like... I kind of excised like the middle half of the book there, but like, how do you really summarize that other than just stuff keeps happening? Yeah, there's yeah, a lot of jokes the wizards about at all. Mm-hmm. Well, you're right. I completely, I completely excised the, the wizards because, unfortunately, as much as I love the Unseen University, their job is to not fix anything at all. <laughs> they kind of, they kind of show up at the end ready to fight the thing, and then nothing happens, and they go, "Well, glad, glad we didn't have to do anything. All right, let's go home." They call out that, like, oh, hey, this is exactly like uh, all the other times. This is just like that thing with the motion pictures or that thing with uh, the other thing with the dungeon dimensions. Yeah, we should be ready in case it happens. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, to be actually fair to them, Rid Cully actually gets a lot of really good characterization, and he does mm-hmm. a lot to help Susan sort of come into her own. Like, they do a lot of good work for the story. They just aren't, like, plot critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We get, like... They get their moments. Is this the book where we start talking about the uh, the high energy magic building? Kids yes. Too? Yeah, because the those, high energy magic building is finally great. here. Yeah, we're gonna hear about them. And we're gonna hear about Hex a lot more as we go forward. They're oh, still not gonna God. be very important to the plot, but we're gonna be hearing about them a lot more. No, but it the is it ma- is fun. <laughs> the high energy <laughs> magic kids have been around forever. They just like only got to start getting to do stuff here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, pond. Hunter Stibbins showed up in moving pictures as Victor Tugelben's roommate. And now he's finally like, after going on a road trip with uh, Ridcully in Lords and Ladies, he's like finally here in his, well, kind of in his element uh, in this book too. And that's really fun. Yeah. It's, you were going to uh, say June? Sorry. Speaking of moving pictures, did anyone else feel like this book was just, what if moving pictures had good jokes? <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. Like <laughs> the book itself says as much. Like this is just like moving pictures, but you know, the jokes were a lot better. It, yeah, that, it's mm. moving pictures through the lens of Mort. Kind of. Yeah. Mm. It's just I. I think of the plot of this book, and I think of all the failings. Like, oh, you have some interesting protagonists, but they aren't like that. They don't do much in a lot of ways. They just kind of have stuff happening to them. Oh, you've got like. A lot of wizards there who are just kind of there and being goofy and used for jokes. You have so, so many, oh, it's the real world, but in Discworld jokes. You have Mm -hmm. Dibbler showing up to be a capitalist in the worst way. All of these things. And, like, it's kind of the same thing. It all just kind of peters out at the end without a, like, really satisfying ending. Although there's some very cool stuff. 
Mm. It's just that this book I laughed at a lot. Like, I genuinely Mm. found a lot of the jokes in this book really funny, which I can't say for most of the other books I'd compare this to. Like, I didn't find a lot of the jokes in Moving Pictures or uh, what was the original Witches book? Uh, Weird Sisters. Yeah, Weird Sisters. I didn't find a lot of them there funny. This one, it was like, oh, yeah, no, the music jokes are funny. Yeah, this one made me put the e-reader down a couple times, groan audibly, and angrily repeat the punchline. Which hasn't happened in a while. Now, how much of that is because we're, we've, you know, the music stuff has sort of stayed in pop culture a lot better than a lot of the movie tropes that moving pictures used. Oh, I think there's that too, yeah. Like, it's, Mm -hmm. with the movie stuff, a lot of the stuff they're calling back to is like, silent movie era stuff or like you know the golden age of hollywood whereas with this it's like oh yeah well you know pop music has been around since like the 50s which was 80 years ago but it's still stayed it like people still know who like elvis is or like you know the four seasons mm-hmm. or uh you know like stuff from the 60s and 70s and shit still gets played on the radio like it's music is i guess more alive in a way than movies are in a way that's very apt to this book's themes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but still, um, there were just, like, a lot of sense. puns in this book that actually worked for me. A lot of, like, mm-hmm. a lot of the gags involving the different bands were genuinely, like, interesting cuts or genuinely funny. Even, like, the moments where he did a similar thing to what he did in Moving Pictures where he, like, really opens up about how cool music is. Let's embrace stardom and describe it. Here... There were moments where I was like, oh, that was actually really cool writing. The way you described that made me kind of like in awe of this thing, which yeah, I can't really say every, about uh, moving pictures. Every time the band with Roxanne gets up and plays on the stage, it's like it. it's like Terry is really conveying to you that like, listen, this is this is obviously some eldritch bullshit. And the band knows it. Everyone in the band knows it, that they're playing with forces they can't understand and are probably going to hurt them later. But in that moment, it feels so fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> For everyone involved. So it's like, yeah, I get it. I get why you would continue with that. It's really cool. It's kind of what holds up Buddy as a protagonist, in my opinion, because he doesn't do anything and he's not that interesting for almost all of the book. But like mm. the way it describes him just being controlled by the music and just sucked into it in this intense way genuinely really cool i can it's easier to see why he sticks around for it than why victor stuck around for everything Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. because you know you're reading this going yeah i'd probably do the exact same thing for the exact same reasons he's more relatable in that way and yeah this the fact that he's just being pulled along the whole time is more central to who he is Mm mm-hmm yeah, like it makes he's essentially being played like an instrument by his instrument for most of the book mm-hmm. uh, whenever he's not on stage for it. And like really like the big turning point for his personal art comes when he asserts his own sense of self and becomes something greater than the canon by uh, playing the song that he won his little competition with at the start of the book. Like showing yeah. the crowd not just who Buddy is, but who Imp is. Honestly, honestly, yeah. part of what I really liked about that scene was the way that it's kind of implied that he still has this power in him. That it's that it's almost like a deal with the devil where he's like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll go out on your terms. I'll do what you want. I'll die horribly, whatever you want. But like, 
let me have this. And he's able to channel that same music, but into a completely different style. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, like, yeah. They're all still spellbound by his little harp number, a Johnny B. Good. Yeah. <laughs> that that was one of the ones where I had to put down the book, yell, and then pick the yeah. book back up again. Uh, that, and like, I audibly said, his name is Buddy Holly? I mean, look at him. He looks just like Buddy Holly. (laughs) (laughs) Also, before we continue, I have to make an incredibly, incredibly important point here. There's one thing that I feel like has to inform the rest of our discussion and this entire episode. Mm -hmm. The band in this, which Pratchett, according to this, considers this foundational music to the universe. Yes, it's rock, but more than that, it's rock that started the universe. The coolest thing possible. That band has an electric guitar, a drum set, sometimes a keyboard, and a horn. <laughs> Pratchett is embracing ska. This is the this is what we've learned here. <laughs> oh no. Like no. I, I think if this book had been published a few years later, there would there absolutely be a Smash Mouth joke or something in there, right? Oh, I mean, there'd be a oh, ton. Absolutely. But I, I just find it very funny that Pratchett's thing is like, okay, well, obviously you need drums, you need a guitar, you might need a keyboard, and then of course a horn. Like that. That's I mean, that's one of the most important parts of rock. Li- like literally, like if you do think about the history of like like English like Northern soul and stuff, like that's. Absolutely, horns do have a place in British rock music for sure. Um, yeah. But it, as as Americans, it is very strange for us to imagine like, it's oh yeah, ska. horns, natural part. Yeah, no, we're just thinking, oh, that's you know, uh, they're definitely picking it up on the stage right here. But yeah, no, that's that's. That's very odd and a good point. But it's, it's, also it like, was really fun. I I, I, yeah. I just kept thinking about it as I read the book. Mm-hmm. I thought that um, I really really liked like last like in in Minute Arms, um, Terry kind of like finds a real sweet spot with the relationship between Cuddy and uh, Detritus, and in this book we get two more. Uh, dwarf and troll bestie pairings but the one that takes up most of the book is uh cliff and glod and like one i think it's really i love their dynamic because one it's like it's the same dynamic as cutting and detritus but like without the whole like baggage of like getting over racial issues it's more just like yeah like we're both musicians first and like musicians tend to be like underneath the heel of society no matter what unless they're actually really good and two it was great to see them like kind of bounce off each other because like uh cliff is this very like no nonsense pragmatist as as opposed to like uh glod who is who tries to who is like more like tries to pretend to be more of a pragmatist at the start but is like clearly more like kind of taken in with the whole the whole music thing later on. I don't know. It's real. They're, they're just a really interesting couple. And I think they provide a lot of color to the book where buddy is just kind of like an inert protagonist. Yeah. It, it buddy, buddy doesn't do anything. He's just kind of the voice of the music. So like having them to be able to riff on stuff and talk about stuff, 
Especially because it doesn't do what, like, Cliff is a bit of a character, not just haha troll dumb, and mm-hmm. so is there's a there's a lot of weird characterization to Glod that I actually really enjoyed. Like the Glod is so strange. Yeah, <laughs> it's his whole bit where he's terrible at negotiating. <laughs> yeah, he's awful with money, which is kind of reflected with like his name being a misspelling of gold. Uh, I did and, not like, consider also, that, I, but yeah. I love that, like, when they're on tour, instead of, like, trashing hotel rooms, he, like, redecorates them and makes them look better, which is, like, such a weird, obtuse joke, but which I actually really liked a lot. Oh, yeah. no, I, I love that because they just don't... It's one of those jokes that they just don't call any actual attention to. Yeah. If you get it, you get it. And if you don't, well, they're just doing weird stuff, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Loves the cream wallpaper, whatever. <laughs> It's just really funny. Um, but, yeah, like, they're, they're just this constant presence throughout the book. And, like, they're, them, like, try them plus, like, um, getting Asphalt in the mix is, like, kind of, like, the the person who actually tells them where to go and what to do. Which, like, Asphalt is their roadie, and he's, he's, he's named Asphalt because he's a fucking roadie, in mm-hmm. case that wasn't immediately obvious. This book is so full of fucking puns. It's wild. Asphalt was a good part of the dynamic, just because he got to be like the normal one. Like, yeah, and I love no- that. I love that also. He was the one who was like, ah, the the seasoned old hand of the road with music. Even though that like rock music hasn't really existed for very long, mm-hmm. he still he still has that patina well, of like age and experience. There's this weird thing where like all of the components have existed, but they haven't come together before because he keeps giving all of these stories about things that you would normally associate with, quote unquote, the rock and roll lifestyle. But it's just some other random band. Mm-hmm. It's like um, it's kind of like music existed before that, but this is the first time in the Discworld universe that music has a a mythos, literally like like an animus to it, which is, you know, the music inside of Buddy's guitar. Um, it's the same idea that kind of makes us think of rock and roll as sort of a canon nowadays. That makes us think of uh, the traditional idea of the rock star as, quote, larger than life, unquote, even though they're just, the these days, they're just jack-offs trying to get hits on Spotify, just like any other artist. Um, but, you know, there's, there's the idea of that that still echoes. And uh, that's, I feel like that's kind of what they're, they're riffing on here. It's, it's not so much that rock music couldn't have existed before this. It's that rock music didn't have a story being told about itself that hit, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, yeah, you didn't have rock stars, right? Like, right. they talk about, like, oh, well, you know, before this, all bands were named shit like Blondie and his Mary Troubadours or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, music was for, like, you know, a bunch of old dudes with harps being like, oh, you sound pretty good, but in 50 years, you know, you'll be able to play some real music. Mm-hmm. I want to I wanna go into this because I find it really interesting how, like, the idea of kind of music having a mythos and what he does here, because this is something Pratchett does a lot in like his books that are, what if we import something from round world, which is like, mm-hmm. there's a whole culture, there's a whole mythos, there's a whole history here. But when you get that without the history, our world has, what's it, what's, how does it work? What's it like? And it's, it's interesting. 
and I want to talk about it more, but it's late. That, I'll save that for the end of the episode because it gets into my more political <laughs> thoughts on this one, which is going to be interesting. Political, um, ooh. But I, I, it, it was, it was fun. I, I liked this. Yeah, book. Hmm. it was a, it was a breezy read. It was a romp. Uh, it was really as... easy to read. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of mentioned that while this isn't like this, really is like comfort food for Discworld, but. This is the kind of shit that I really remember from back when I was first reading it, when, you know, back in high school, I guess. But this is the stuff that tended to stick with me, is these weird jokes, the the odd emulation, the let's take this apart and put it back together. This is what my memory is telling me Discworld is. And I don't know if that's specific to me or if that's just, like, sort of the, the pop culture legacy of Discworld or I don't know where I'm going with this. I think no, I get no, no I, I get what you're saying. I think part of it is just because, like, as I said, it's the same as a lot of the earlier books, like the, a lot of what the Rincewind books were, a lot of like what Moving Pictures was, a lot of the books. It's just that this one's good. Like this one, you read through and you're like, "Haha, that was a good uh, music joke." I get that. And so, like, if you're thinking back to what Discworld is, and a lot of your memories are of that older, like putting all of these jokes in, putting all of these references and this sort of thing in, having the one where it's funny and entertaining and, like, cool is probably the one that resonates the most. I guess what I should be thinking of is these are the ones that are easier to talk about with just anybody. Yeah. Because this is the easy-to-digest stuff. This is the stuff that's easy to relate. This is something, if you're trying to get somebody to read Discworld, this wouldn't be a bad place to lead them in. Mm -hmm. Because while a bunch of stuff is already established a lot of it is working off of stuff the reader's already going to know because they've lived in a society and they've osmosed it. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, we talk a lot about how excited we are for the Night Watch episode because it's a good one. But also, like, starting with Night Watch with Discworld is a little bit like jumping straight into the deep end. Uh, whereas, like, this this book, Soul Music, definitely feels more like a good a good starter to, like, What's Discworld like to read? Well, here you go. It's a lot of jokes, and it's kind of a weird mirror of our worlds, but kind of not quite right in humorous ways. And also, it it mildly critiques some things, um, but in this book, nothing really that sharp. And also, we get a whole lot of death action in it, which is really fun. Uh, I had forgotten how much like death mm-hmm. action was in this book. Uh, I remember there was some, but like, it's maybe about like a third of the book entirely, which is more than I I remember it being. I remember it being just like kind of a little side plot. Uh, yeah, like, which was nice. You, just, you wouldn't think that would kick off the whole action of the book, because that's one of the things that you notice about this book that kind of annoyed me personally was like this book has like, okay, so we're following Death and Susan and the Wizards and the band and the band. And, you know, some other bands, you know, and Dibbler, and sometimes, like, The Watch or whoever, and the, you know, it feels like it's spreading itself a bit thin at times. Yeah, that's fair. Like, it, the, it did, I feel like, with the, the bits with Susan in it, and the bits about the music, I could see how Terry would maybe think that both of those parts are maybe a little bit too flimsy to really stand on their own, so he combined mm-hmm. them together. Uh, but together, 
I do agree that sometimes they do fumble for your attention. Like mm-hmm. they kind of get in the way. And like the place where they kind of meet with the ending and with Susan constantly trying to show up to stop the bumbling musicians guild from uh, murking buddy were maybe the parts where the seams showed the most. Yeah. I, to, to, I mean, to be fair, the Musicians Guild would have killed Buddy every one of those times if Susan hadn't stepped in. They were only oh, bumbling yeah. because they were being foiled. But yeah, it's like there's there's the there's the thematic par- parallel between Buddy and Princess Kelly that that way. But like, I'm not sure if it really adds anything because like mm-hmm. Susan has like a sort of weird teenage crush on Imp that never really goes anywhere and never will again because Imp never shows up after this book. <laughs> Even though Susan will. Yeah, that was that was one of the weirder things. That it, like, it ends and it's like, oh, wow, it's saying something about them like Susan and Imp. And, and oh, he never shows up again? No one in this nope. book ever shows up again except Susan? <laughs> huh, well, uh, okay. I guess we saw who's the breakout character here, huh? I uh, this is this but I I I I'm gonna I feel like Pratchett might have thought that Susan was gonna be like a one bit character. Yeah, but yeah, I he, mean he definitely thought the, that at the start. But she's the granddaughter of death. She's too cool. So what did what what did y'all think of Susan actually? Uh, uh, screaming gender every cool. time she was on. Yeah, just screaming gender every time she's on camera. Oh yeah. yeah. I love I love the idea of somebody being goth by default. She didn't want to be goth. She was just more practical minded and didn't have a lot of patience for people. And that combined with being uh, part of Death's Bloodline means that she was absolutely goth to the max. That fucking rules. <laughs> Hell yes. Uh, I I really I I there were times when I felt she was a bit too. Pratchett struggled to know what to do with her. She didn't really do Mm -hmm. much for a lot of the book. She was just kind of Mm -hmm. there being a bit spooky and there to, like, realize things and such. But I I really loved what she, like, was becoming and what she is. And I want to see more of her. If if this had been a book that didn't get a sequel, she would be the character I was going, oh, she was so close to being perfect. I really hope we could have seen more of her someday. But but we do we do get more of her and Good it's news. everything I wanted. So she only shows yeah. up in like three books, but we... she's still but she's like, incredible. She's perfect. Big appearances, she's yeah. She doesn't overstay her welcome. Yeah, like there are definitely in this book. She definitely had her moments of like, like proto Joss Whedon. Like, well, that just happened. Um, yeah, she spent a lot of time kind of like going around, like not really sure what to do. Like, what I does mean, this mean? What do I do she's... with this? She's 16 years old, yeah. and she's got to put up with the fucking Discworld while trying to be practical about things. Yeah. I can't really fault her for doing this. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. Sort of like how Isabel was really grading a lot of the time, but she was just a kid, so of course she was grading. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's still not a great defense, but it would have been it would have been weirder if she wasn't, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I I wish that maybe things had been a little bit, like, I don't know. I, I wish that she had gotten more of a chance to actually do something. But, like, I feel like a lot of that is just on the plot of this book wasn't really there. Like, no yeah. one really does anything. 
Yeah. yeah. Like she spends a lot of time getting dragged around by, like, uh, the raven and the death of rats, but even they're not all that helpful. Actually, I, I can't think of, like, a single character in this book, aside from death at the very end, who is, like, proactive in doing things. Mm-hmm. Every single I character mean, is just kind of reacting to what's going on around them, and not even in a way that's like changing anything. Just like, well, this sure is a thing. Oh God, I got to deal with it. Counterpoint: I would argue that Dibbler is very proactive in this book. Oh, <laughs> fuck off! <laughs> I mean, Death kind of shows up at the end, mostly just go ahead and fix everything because, of course, he's the only person who has any clue what to do, and that's good because, like, the ending kind of had to hurry up and happen one way or the other. Yeah, like, so, I'm sorry, this was still a little bit unclear to me. Like, when they, when Death, like, plays, like, the empty chord and then hands the guitar back over to Buddy to restart the music or whatever, is that just kind of, like, the equivalent of him essentially being, like, if, if I wanted to, I could, like, I could, like, end it for you idea of music? That's absolutely what he's doing. He's holding a gun to the universe's head and saying, you cut this shit out or I'm just stopping the car and we're all getting off. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure the implication here there is that like, hey, universe, if you don't fucking quit this shit right now, uh, we're done. We're done. We're just going to stop it. I'm going to kill everybody. End of the world. Uh, I could do this at any moment. Which is a hell of a flex. Pulling rank, yeah. Yeah. And that's after he basically rode a motorcycle all the way over there after the motorcycle <laughs> oh, yeah. fell apart. So this, there's some there's some really good album covers in this book. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I think that 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 one like basically is an album cover. Yes, right? it is. Oh, yeah, it's it is. Bad it's out also of hell, just baby. a bad out of hell yeah. cover. Fuck yeah. But but like death posed with the fragment of his own scythe in one hand and the guitar in the other. Yeah, that's that's some cool ass shit. That's some cool ass shit. <laughs> Wearing, mind you, the leather jacket he took from James the Dean. God. <laughs> our, our rebel without a pause. God, that joke killed me. Gosh. That, that joke no, had me that, so mad. A jacket he borrowed from the Dean. It's a fucking American Pie joke while they're in the middle of staging American Pie. Yep. Jesus Christ. God. There are some there are some very good jobs of layering these stupid references together. The whole together. thing where he invents genes and then he's like, they won't name them after you, and his name is yeah. Dean. Just like, yeah, and they're a pair of deans. Yeah. Aww. <sighs> it, the, the jokes here were good. They were really yeah, like, funny. Again, like, the, wiz- the wizards didn't do anything, but also this book would have been so much less without them because yeah. they were. that was very funny, that shit. I... I appreciate the wizards being sort of the the thaumaturgical canaries in the coal mine. That's that's a good bit. That is a good reason to use them, even mm-hmm. if they're not actually doing anything. Their existence is helpful. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, they're just really funny. <laughs> yeah, like the the book would have been laughing. Liking something without the wizards, but I have mm-hmm. this this I have a theory about this book and how it exists that relates to all of this. My, my theory is that the way this book came about, and I have absolutely no evidence for it aside from reading the book, is that every single time in the past like five books that Pratchett would come up with a music joke, he would like write it down somewhere on a, on a sheet of paper and then put it, put it just in a folder. And then eventually he just had a thick enough folder that he was like, all right, I can throw together some half-assed plot and figure it out, but I'm going to use all of these. And oh, yeah, yeah. there is... 
there is that story on L Space about him uh, getting the idea for the "We're certainly dwarves" joke from a fan. <laughs> oh yeah, and what a you, good joke! You, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, Shout out to dwarves. they might be giants. Ah. <laughs> uh. Apparently they were niche over there at the time. I don't know if they are now or not. Fuck if anyone knows anymore. I mean, he was a huge, uh, he was a huge, uh, they might be giants fan for a while. He talked about mm. it a couple of times. He loved them. Yeah. Um, yeah he, he made a reference to one of the songs in the last book. Yeah. Game recognized game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, like that's, that is generally how like, you know, as a writer, a lot of, a lot of stories end up getting written because you just have a bunch of tiny little ideas that you just write down and then they just kind of catamari into a story eventually. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. I, it's, it's probably, that, that seems likely as to the origin of this book, I think. Like, like I liked the parts with like, I liked the uh, parts with Susan and I liked all of the parts of her talking with death and figuring out who she is. But they felt like a very small story that didn't really have a ton of connection with the main story. That they mm. felt like a retread mm. of Mort in a way that wasn't like that, Yeah, that's fine. the problem too, is that like Moving Pictures is a book that definitely could have used a second attempt. Mort less so. Yeah. It, it's yeah. really weird that she travels back in time to Mort and sort of <laughs> makes this weird kind of quasi retcon. Which, as, which Death is like, spots her, laughs, and that's apparently why he decides to go ahead and spare their lives. Which I think is more like just part of the Back to the Future references in this. <laughs> oh there's god, you're lot. right. I, there's a lot of yeah. Back to the Future jokes in this yeah. one. I will say, I, I liked the... I liked seeing Death in the Past. I don't know if this was intentional, but I liked the, like difference between death as we see him in like the present and death in the past mostly Mm. because there's a reading of it as death in the past is very cruel and very callous and death now is very much not so and it's mostly because of reaper man and you can really read that in pretty easily yeah it's a very old versus new testament sort of approach Mm. where it's like oh yeah there was that bit in between these two books where he really got together with humans and mellowed out huh i okay i like susan just looking out of the field of wheat and going why the fuck did he make this and she never gets any closure on that Mm. it's just she just looks at it goes huh that's weird and then goes about her business the homie just loves his bread you know he just Um, really likes that farm to table yeah um but I, I, yeah, I really liked Susan. I really liked what she did in the story. I really liked who she was. The the implications of her and Buddy are weird and just, I don't get it. Why'd you do that, Ratchet? I, I almost wonder if he feels on some level like he has to like pair up his protagonist by the end because it seems like this happens a lot. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. does. I mean, this happened with uh, Morton. Death's daughter. Well, Mort tried to do it with with uh, Princess Kelly, but that just kind of. Disip- yeah, like dissipates. it happened. It happened in more. It happened in sorcery. It happened in pyramids. It, it happened, happened in Weird I, Sisters. Yeah, but Weird Sisters, it worked out a little bit it's better. It's gonna happen again later to Susan, although that one's a bit better, and I'll yell about it. It just keeps happening. I don't know if that kind of thing really. I can't say he ever clicks into a groove with it. Uh, there are a few pairings that really make sense, but most of them are just like. 
do you think his editor tells him, you know, you should insert some kind of romance in this? Or do you think, like, his own internal editor just kind of keeps saying, I should do this? I think it's an internal editor thing where it's like, oh, well, you know, you gotta you gotta have a little, like, romance in it. You know, that's that's a classic of story. But, like, yeah. like not necessarily, they, I you know, it's, know it, but... It's the old Shakespeare thing of, you know, if there's a wedding in it, it's a comedy. Otherwise, it's a tragedy. So you have to have, yeah. like, something in there, you know? There's got to be a pairing. There's got to be uh, misunderstood identities. And one of the characters has to fake death for a little bit. And that's mm-hmm. how you get a Shakespeare play. Mm-hmm. Also, the stuff with Albert was just kind of there. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, he, he goes around looking for death, but he doesn't find anything. And we get the another retread of the obnoxious Kalachian Foreign Legion bit, which oh, I guess is a reference to a movie no one has seen yes. because it's from, like, the 30s. Yes. Yeah, it's... Yes. It's a reference to the French Foreign Legion, like. Well, the there's one of it. specific movie that's being referenced. It was used for the basis of Death's name in the Legion itself. Yeah, Bo Jest. Yeah, the well, he got named Bone Idol. <laughs> yeah, so if you haven't seen this movie from 1939, uh, I guess this whole bit doesn't okay. make any sense. The, which the con- okay, the concept of the French Foreign Legion in pop culture all came almost entirely from that one movie. Sure. And that was something that made a lot more sense 30 years ago, but yeah. I don't know anyone our age or younger who's ever really said the words French Foreign Legion in their lives. Yeah, it's it's something you see in, like, old Archie comics where, like, someone threatens to, I'm gonna run away and join the French Foreign Legion because I'm mad I, at you, or whatever. I think yeah. Snoopy did it a couple dozen times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Snoopy and, like, uh, I think it was in a few Bugs Bunny cartoons is where I first heard about it, but, you mm-hmm. know, it's never... You know, it's never been a concept that was anything outside of the realm of cartoons for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that if someone's doing going and joining an organization in order to forget these days, it's usually just going out to sea, which yeah. seems a bit more universal and would have worked better in my head. But like at the same time, you know, he, he Pratchett was using what pieces he already had together, and he wanted an excuse to use the fucking Hershey bar joke because nobody got je- Jelly Baby. It's also a. It's also one of those things where once again Pratchett loves to use the, like, aesthetics of our world and the things that are there, like, referencing a movie with the Clatchian Foreign Legion fighting vague invaders in the desert, but without any of the history of say colonialism or such that contextualizes yeah. it and such, <laughs> and so you just get weird vaguely racist stuff with yeah. no like info or anything behind it it's just they're, there they're literally called the dregs it's 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 a one of the biggest problems pratchett has especially in the earlier books in my opinion is his just he keeps referencing these things but because he can't give them a history in his world it's just a reference when it's referencing like funny music, well, I'll get into this. It's it's just kind of funny, but when it's referencing something that has a complex history, it then becomes that thing completely removed from history, and that's not mm-hmm. great a lot of the time. Although, once again, uh, at least here it's funnier. Like the jokes about the guy can't not being able to remember anything in the place you go to forget is actually pretty funny. Or the joke mm-hmm. about him being buried to his neck and then just sitting there and, like, finding it relaxing. Also, a pretty good gag. It's 
it's still bad, but it's better than in earlier books where I was like, wow, I, I hate this and nothing here is funny. Here I'm like, I hate this. At least he wrote a couple good jokes during it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought the forgetful guy was like funny the first time the joke Fair. happened. And then yeah. it kept happening. It was like, oh. oh I think okay, the reason I, I found it funny was the cotton joke. Yeah, no, look, try to read his name on his clothes, and all he could get was just, like, the back of a clothes tag. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that was, was a good gag. What'd y'all think, yeah. of, the, uh, what'd y'all think of the wizard section of the book? Because that's kind they of... They were fun. Another part. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're fun. Like, they're, they're good fluff, and you need some amount of fluff for, this to act, for these stories to work. Yeah, like, you can't... Yeah, like, you have to do something in between the Blues Brothers references, of which there are, like, at least five... So many, so many. Did like Mission from God? Did like No Man Were Musicians? Uh, the the uh, diner scene where they ordered yeah, four for, fried rats uh, and four bread and a coke. Yeah. yeah, and then they throw in the Marx Brothers for good re- for good measure. So it's the the two hard boiled eggs on top of all of that make that three hard boiled eggs. God. Oh, for God's sakes! Am I the only person who knows that? Routine? No, no, I, I had to read out the L Space annotation. Ah, I have seen okay. a lot of Marx Brothers, fortunately. My I, 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 my parents had very old taste and usually very bad taste, but thank God they at least instilled some Marx Brothers in me. I saw Marx Brothers a while back. It's it's been a okay. No, since I've watched them, so forgive okay. me. Okay, no, sorry. I'm I'm just getting overly defensive about jokes, apparently. <laughs> So-called Marxists win. <laughs> Okay, I just think it's funny to mix Marx, Bro- Marx Brothers and Blues Brothers. Oh, I, I didn't. Like yeah, they're both. Bro- I didn't. I didn't even get that. Why that would be a mix? Huh. Two famous bros, or four famous? No, five, six, depending <laughs> on what period of the Marx Brothers you're asking about. Uh, several famous bros. Uh, yeah, I. I also we got more Ridcully in this book. A lot of Ridcully. Yeah, I said he got a lot of good characterization. He is a fun character, and it is great to just let him loose on a scene. Yeah. yeah, this is the this is the most competent we've seen him, which is wild. He's he's slowly metamorphosing from like, oh, he's the new guy, and he, but he's kind of a joke. But he's a different kind of guy than most of the wizards. And in this, it's like, oh, I could believe that this man actually runs a school for wizardry. Uh, he, he does still have that kind of like way of buzzsawing through any like social situation or tricky issue but he he kind of has his shit together a little bit more than in previous books he is in his element of being like you know the older guy who doesn't get all this rock and roll nonsense yeah Mm -hmm. his whole thing is just he's like the odd one out of the wizards for being uh you're you're like buff dad basically yeah and so he's a great contrast but also he's just he's got a bunch of great characterization and how he goes over stuff and how it, it's portrayed as though even though he's kind of a weird asshole who doesn't like the future or moving there he's also genuinely quite smart in a way that a lot of the other other wizards refuse to be like the whole scene yeah. where they realize how to trap it in a box and one of the wizards is excitingly explaining it in front of Dibbler, and he's just like, let's not do that. Let's never talk in front of Dibbler about anything ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He seems like the best possible person to be in charge if the dungeon dimensions are actually breaking through yeah. at this point. Um, I mean, they kind of mentioned that he's sort of rearranged and admittedly started to kind of ossify the 
the unseen university now just because he's this big stone that they can't dislodge so mm-hmm. everything just sort of has to resettle around him and we stop just killing all of the wizards every book that <laughs> wizards appear in mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean what are you gonna try to kill buff dad i'm not gonna try to kill buff dad <laughs> Yeah. They tried to kill Buff Dad. He killed them back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Buff Dad will kill you. He'll ground you, and then he'll put you in a headlock and kill you. Throw I, you I right really, off the window. I really feel like also a lot of this just comes from like you could tell Pratchett really enjoyed writing Ridcully in the Last Witch's book. Like, oh a yeah. Lot. And I, I feel like a lot of that was just Pratchett being like, I want to go back to this character. I like him because mm-hmm. you can you can kind of see that was where I think Ridcully really started to get his good characterization of just like yeah because kind of like this rowdy outdoorsy older guy yeah the the dude's a crowbar and sometimes you need something to open the crate yeah mm-hmm. finally the anti-rincewind he's great in contrast to the rest of the university especially because he's also like one of no he's he's the only senior staff who we actually get a name for him everybody else is referred to by their office by their titles you're right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, except for Ponder Stibbins. Yeah, well, well Ponder Stibbins is a younger still, one. Yeah. He's a student. He's like graduate. Yeah. Yeah, but in previous books, like that was because the Arch Chancellor would keep swapping out. But in this, it's like no, Ridcully is kind of the the thing that the other wizards orbit around. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, and everyone everyone else is this kind of cloud around him. I thought they said Ponder Stibbins was like the youngest of the senior staff or something like that. Like he got a promotion. Did he? He might. He might have, but he'll never act like it. Yeah, no, that's fair. The the dude is a graduate student for the rest of his life. I'm trying to think of what else there was in this book. Uh, there there were just so many little smaller threads that's like you could pick at any of them. What did y'all think of a uh, crash and scum in the gang? The other band that we followed throughout uh, a bunch of this book. Kind of washouts our um, you know, grungier side of the rock music wave. Mm-hmm. Pratchett really, really liked the jokes he kept making there, and yeah, some like, of them were really funny. <laughs> yeah, the, they they felt like mostly a joke vehicle, though. Yeah, I love, but there was there were some good jokes, and I love the one about like I think my favorite thing with them is that like one of them like gets one of them was like oh yeah we need some leopard skin pants, but uh so I bought some off of a guy. The problem is like he sold it to it's me for real cheap leopard, because I had yes. to take him off the leopard first and. The leopard doesn't want <sighs> us to remove its pants. It's just like, oh my god. And then, you know, several pages later, we find it's a deaf leopard. <laughs> oh, what a terrible no, I mean, for the most part, they seem to exist mainly so that Pratchett could just, like, offload all of his stock puns at a discount. Yeah, yeah okay. We had, but, like, at the same time, it was funny, so... Yeah, calling yeah, them, he had all these... Calling them insanity, uh, which is... Probably a reference to Madness, which is mm-hmm. a ska band. I, I just want to say it's a ska band because, like, it's important. That, 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 I'm, I'm well, telling like, you there's something here. But later on, like, that being the surreptitious fabric. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's just endlessly using the same, uh, these jokes, but they're funny. The whom? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> they, they go through so many, and yet they walk past, like, the roll- they don't even consider the Rolling Stones as one of them says, well, you know what they say about you know, not gathering moss? <laughs> uh, there's so much. It's very uh, silly. Uh, or, um, the fucking... So, throughout the entire book, people kept keep telling Buddy, like, he looks a bit elvish, doesn't he? Until it finally culminates in the joke about, yeah, he's 
He's Elvish Presley as he's thrusting his hips on the stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God. Yeah, but then there's it. also a there's a there's a, the joke at the end about like he works at like a chip shop and all the girls in town say that there's a guy who works down at the chip shop who's and they swear he's Elvish. Yeah. Uh, and that's apparently a reference to like some other singer song who I literally hadn't heard of before you posted it in the chat room uh, before we started recording by uh, Christy McCall. Yeah, uh, this, this fucking hit song from 1981, literally titled, There's a guy who works down at the chimp shop, swear- There's a guy who works down at the chip shop, swears he's Elvis. Yeah, which is like, like, Matryoshka joke right there. <laughs> oh, God. I really enjoyed this book, even though it's got yeah. a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Speaking of things that didn't quite work, what'd y'all think of the Musicians Guild? Uh... uh <laughs> You'll like never a, guess what I thought of the Musicians Guild from that intro. Uh they They didn't learn a damn thing. They just didn't actually matter at any yeah. point. Yeah, like you'd think they're gonna like kick off the kick off the story and they kinda do by, you know, being the reason our fellows have to join a band and kinda go underground, but yeah. then I don't know, they just spend their time their time trying to kill our guys like a I'd say it's a reference to Carrie Fisher's character in the Blues Brothers, but no, it isn't. It just they just don't do anything. I was I was about to say, listen, they're no Illinois Nazis. I'll say that. Yeah, much. yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, they're they're just kind of there, and it's not. It doesn't really work. Like they really I, try to make a thing out of like Mister Cleet being like, ah, he's the he's the paper pusher of the guild, and he he's like the death of creativity, man. But like they don't. They don't really pull it off, and he just kind of comes out as, like, a watered-down version of, uh... What's that other wizard guy from, like, the Light Fantastic? Was that, like, Trimon or something? I, I know who you're talking about. I think yeah. that's right. The the guy who wasn't wasn't a big magic user, but just liked things to be kind of more organized and, like, you know, was, was seen as a dangerous person because he was very practical. Similar thing uh, here. Like... I think Pratchett just made up a guy or, like, had a particular type of guy he was mad at and then spent most of the... Because, like, he'll, like, take swipes at Mr. Cleet even when this scene has nothing to do with him. Like, he, like oh, the outpost was here on this little dotted line because of people like Mr. Cleet. Like, which is really mad at, like, this particular type of guy. I, I wonder if it's, like, a swipe at some editor or whatever. Oh, like, God, maybe, maybe he had a really bad experience at the BMV or something. I mean, yeah... I feel like this uh, kind of guy is one of Pratchett's I, favorite types of villains. Not just a pencil pusher, but a person who takes something alive and kind of condenses it down to just money and bureaucracy, but in a shitty way to deprive other people of things. Which is, yeah. it, you see this villain like over and over and over in Discworld, in my opinion. A lot of the big bad guys have shades of this. Um, like. <sighs> I, I, may, I made a jab in the summary about how everyone sur- everyone important survives the incident because for some reason, Cle- there is no reason for why Cleet and company were chasing after the band. And like, they even the say re- this. Like, there's, yeah, they keep saying, can we just please not do this? And like, I guess because you had to have the band running from something, but they were already running from three different things. There was nothing gained by having them chase, and there was nothing gained by having Cleet just fucking die. Yeah, like, Mm -hmm. it it feels like a weird dig at the recording industry or whatever, but uh, the recording industry, like, kind of gets invented by wizards and dip on accident, and that doesn't go anywhere. 
Yeah, just for, they forget yeah. about it. <laughs> Surprisingly, this is like one of very few rock and roll narratives that don't involve some sort of recording contract deal with the devil thing. The yeah. devil literally is the music in this yeah. case. And also Dibbler, who's, you know, very pointedly taking, you know, yeah. Here, yeah, here's your $10. Here, you know, I'll have my guy carry the stack of, you know, five grand from the mm-hmm. from the door. Oh, I get it. It really was the devil's music. Ha ha. Uh... Ah. Ah. Yeah, uh, it it feels like a villain from a different Discworld book who kind of got <laughs> not his entire bit here. Like like just yeah. just yeah, the like outline. It, it feels like someone summarized a better Discworld villain without any of the story or characterization or interesting stuff. Just kind of here's all the bits you need to know. Don't worry about it. Yeah, like hell, he's one of the clowns in the last book, isn't he? Yeah, one of the fucking like say... Jericho clowns. Yeah, I was going to say, like, he feels like a character who, again, similar to the romantic angle, like, Pratchett maybe felt like, oh, well, we need to have at least one guy who's the antagonist who readers can point a finger at and say, well, that's the bad guy. Fuck that guy. Yeah. But you really honestly didn't need that for this book. Yeah, like, Mort uh, didn't have an antagonist. Like, Reaper Man didn't have an antagonist. Or no, it did. I guess it did have a bunch of antagonists. And we do what? sort of have an I was just—I was about to say, you know, it feels like they've—it feels like they've done this before in a better direction. Where because I feel like in a different draft of the story, the Musicians Guild has the sense to go, okay, look, this rock music is nonsense, but we can make a lot of money on it. Why don't we just pull all these kids in? But I'm realizing, oh right, this is pre-ja vu for the fucking printing wars, like you know, like four years from yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, like when we get to the truth. It's it's a villain that Pratchett will do later much better over and over again in fifty books. Mm-hmm. I I and also like there is sort of a villain not not exactly a villain but you have the music as this force mm-hmm. and it's 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 a the book actually I, I I'm kind of even though it didn't go anywhere it, anywhere it was an interesting question of like how do you stop music itself how do you defeat it and the book never answers this or has any interesting like even thoughts on it aside from you yeah, can't it, it would have been really nice if buddy had had anything really to do with the finale like all he did was play a chord because he was told to play the chord yeah and like even at the day the music died which he recreates in the book which uh, I mean, is that it? Music didn't actually die on the day that music died. It just killed like well, three no, guys. Okay, because it was supposed it was supposed to because they they yeah. kind of like twi- timelines kind of got twisted around yeah. there. There was supposed to be a day that the music died, but then they just sort of kept it from happening. And it's somewhat unclear how much of the book, quote unquote, really happened. Yeah, because they're just like you know, just don't don't worry about it. You're thinking about this too hard. Yeah, and like. It sort of happened, but sort of didn't, and everyone's going to just mostly forget about rock music, except when Pratchett needs to make jokes about rock music again in future books. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a sorcery situation. This plot took place in a bubble that now will have very little to no impact on anything else ever, except when Terry thinks it's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It It's my least favorite thing he would do. <laughs> yeah. But once again, it was it's funny. Dream. Which I... Which, yeah. yeah. It was an important theme that humans can only remember so much. And look, if you try to make every single action in all 40 odd books of this of this series canon, you'd be in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I was going to just ask, uh, what was your favorite joke in the book? I realize that's a tough thing to oh, ask because there's a lot of them. God. Uh, for It was, um, so Glot tells a story about some guy who stole a horn from the gods and Buddy goes, you know, in 50 years, who's going to, who would you other people remember as the best horn player of all time? Some felonious monk or Glot Glotson? <laughs> and that made me put God, the book down. that's a good one. That one was so bad. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think. There, there were so many. I okay. These were both like little weird incidental things, but a couple of different things that that Rid Cully says and just nobody comments on. Like when he's talking about, you know, it, this is going to be another Dungeons Dimension situation. Don't you remember what happened to mi- to Mister Hong and how there just one minute everything was fine, then just this explosion of fried food? And who can you really rely on when the chips are down? Uh, Jesus Christ. Or similarly, when the the all of the cooking staff have just gone into like sixties cheerleader, yeah, you know, do op situation. situation, and they're clearly serving cheeseburgers, and Rid Cully has no idea what this is, and while he's poking, he's just saying that someone's playing silly bu- burgers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's terrible. They're both, uh, they're both awful, awful jokes, and I'm glad that no attention gets paid to them. God. Uh, fucking music is a world of hurts. Oh, uh, that one was bad. That one made me angry. <sighs> or, uh, Susan suddenly felt important. Wizards are rumored to be wise. In fact, that's where the word came from. Footnote. From the old wise R's. Literally, one who, at bottom, is very smart. Just, oh yeah uh, yeah i think my favorite one is actually one that um june posted on mastodon the other day so i won't i won't steal it oh no you can go ahead you can go ahead okay my favorite one is um god fucking i don't have the the passage in front of me because i have like a billion post notes in this thing but it's like it's like nobby and colin see um see the band like rolling into town and what is it? Colin's like, yeah, what, what's that one got? I think it's some sort of harp. And then Nobby's like, liar. And like, Colin like, <laughs> yeah. turns to him and is like, you have been waiting all your life to get to say that, haven't you? This is, you are just so tickled to be able to, to respond to me saying that by making that pun, huh? It's like, so good. Yeah. It's this great uh, little dialogue between them. It's the opposite of like, where, like, how how we've said in the past like oh it's great when people when characters in Discworld say jokes and the other characters say what the fuck it's great to see like the third iteration of that where a character says a joke and then was like hey I recognize that was a joke and that was really fucking stupid you know that uh, <laughs> it's just so good it almost so cute it almost felt like he knew that he had to make that joke and was like all right if I'm going to have to make it I know who has to make it and I know exactly how stupid they have to be about it. And it works perfectly. Yeah, it would not. It would not have been funny if it had been a, a pairing other than Colin and Nobby, yeah. because yeah. you we already know enough about those two that we know full well that Colin would just absolutely lose his shit at Nobby actually getting a good <laughs> joke off. Yeah. And you could already, even though nothing is said about it, you know that Nobby is grinning from ear to ear, just the entire time. Oh, because yeah. yes, he's. Oh yeah. He's, He's been sitting on that joke for a long time. You can feel uh, how happy he is with himself at that. It's uh, great. It's, oh, yeah. It's the spiritual I'm successor s- to the looter's joke in fucking, like, fantastic. 
dudes <sighs> posting W's out here. <laughs> uh, uh, we also got um. So th- every time we visit the mended drum, there's this through line about like the proprietor trying to have some kind of entertainment there, like uh, you know, some kind of you know, that's why he's hiring musicians is to so people have something to do with like, well, what happened to the one armed bandit? Oh, we got arrested. And then <laughs> later on, we get the librarian playing medieval space invaders. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, the librarian is just demonstrating that Terry's got a quota. Yeah, or um, like you know, when the librarian is you know. Rolling up to the big organ in the Unseen University because that doesn't see much use because uh you know there's not a lot of public functions at the Unseen University. Wizards don't have balls. There's a popular song about it. <laughs> yes. That God. Was okay. So no. Bad. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry. There's there's one more footnote I gotta share. I apologize. Oh no. Go for um, it. There were a lot of great ones here. Talking about how useless the wizards were, uh, saying, The reader in esoteric studies spent so much time reading what the bursar referred to as the smallest room, that he was generally referred to as the reader in the lavatory, even on official documents. Footnote, the smallest room at Unseen University is in fact a broom cupboard on the fourth floor. He really meant the privy. The reader had a theory that all the really good books in any building, at least all the really funny ones, gravitate to a pile in the privy, but no one ever has time to read all of them, or even knows how they came to be there. His research was causing extreme constipation in a queue outside the door every morning. Sub-footnote to footnote. Uh, all the really funny ones refers to the ones with cartoons about cows and dogs, and captions like, as soon as he saw the duck, Elmer knew it was going to be a bad day. The far side fucking exists in Discworld. <laughs> how uh, weird is that shit? Uh, I, I like to think they're all as confused by cow tools as we were. <laughs> cow tools is a joke that spans timelines. It is perfect no matter what universe you view it in. I mean, the entire point is that nobody fucking knows what that means. So, of course, not. there is one universe, one singular universe where that joke actually made sense. And that's we the will one never the find about it. it. Yes, yes. Uh, it was, God. Uh, some, some things are universal, and they are cow tools and horse girls. <laughs> Yes, yeah, Susan was did get a bit of that horse girl. Uh, I mean, I if I knew Binky, I would be a fucking horse girl too. Binky's perfect. No, what an in, amazing horse. Well, Actually, yes, but as in we meet two horse girls at the fucking school for young girls. The two who oh, we do who would never do anything the... else, but would gladly clean out stables if it means they got to be close to a horse. Yeah, I completely shit. forgot about this school. That was a whole thing, and it's really <laughs> yeah. weird too because like. The school is there, and this is something that Pratchett will do a lot with later. Like, there's a vaguely female dwarf here. That's Mm -hmm. something that's going to be a major thing later on, and here it's just no big deal. Huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, It was strange to see. I enjoyed it, though. I liked liked, liked the school bits. They were fun. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it... I got exposed to one of the more baffling pieces of Britishisms in this, which is how they keep using the word gel, which uh, it means like... Gal. 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 Yeah. You know, a upper-class young girl, apparently. Mm -hmm. It's it's just saying girl, but with a little bit more uh, 
posh accent on it. All right, all right. Yeah, that. Yeah, it's. I'm sorry, they're not really calling one another slime girls. I wish yeah. they were, but they're not. Gels of a certain upbringing. Because <laughs> this was in one of the earlier witches books, so I was ready. Like one of them calls Magra to gel a couple times, so I had context, but it was all right, all right. Still weird. We're, we're getting we're getting into a gif gif situation yeah, here. Yeah, it yeah. is it is gel though. <laughs> I think and. Uh, I will say, I think, like, my favorite joke in the book might have just been the, uh, might have just been the, the uh, rebel without a pause one, or, mm. or the, like, their, the, the joke about them being deems or any of those. There, there were too yeah. many in this book, like, mm-hmm. it, I, I don't know if I could pick. choose one, because there's just a lot of really, really funny bits in it. Yeah, I do. I will say, I did love the uh, the introduction of the Duck Man as one of the beggars, who is yes. one of my favorite characters of Discworld. As guy with duck on his head, who no one will acknowledge that he has duck on his head, mm-hmm. hangs out with three extreme weirdos, but is himself relatively normal except there's a duck on his head that he no one ever talks about. And then that leading up to the very end when Death is like. Okay, I gotta go. Things are happening. I can't just sit here and, like, hang out with these beggars. And before he goes, he's like, I need to ask, why is there a duck on your head? And he just goes, what duck? And Death is like, ah, very good, and leaves. <laughs> like, yeah, that like, is exactly the answer he needed. Because he has this whole thing in his head about, there's, there's no way he doesn't know, right? It's not like having lint on your shirt. He has to know. The idea that the entire cosmos has aligned so that nobody has actually told him about the duck and he's just never noticed it. The just preposterous level of coincidences that must have piled up in this guy's life and he just genuinely does not know there's a duck up there. And more than that, death just being like, ah, you aren't going to answer me? That's all of the answer that I needed to hear to like know that this is inexplicably weird. Of yeah. course. Death is omniscient, except when he needs to not be. Yeah, I, I'm an I'm an immoral paracosmic being, and even I don't have time to explain this shit. That's <laughs> oh, great. Oh, God, I'm trying to think. That's of, wonderful. I'm trying to think of anything else in this book. It was interesting to yeah. get a look into Pratchett's music tastes. Yeah, it was. Almost all my notes are just like of jokes I liked. Like, I don't know the. Oh, the wizards are wearing blue suede shoes or blue suede boots or whatever. Both because that's a song and also like I said, this, there's magic afoot joke. Heyo. Which gets a similar reaction of you've, you've been waiting to make that fucking mm-hmm. joke, haven't you? But yeah, that's, that's, that, that's kind of, that, I mean, that kind of is my thought on the book is like, there's not really a lot in this book that I'd be interested in going back to. Aside from... Some of the stuff with Susan, I really loved the bit with the swing. I really loved mm-hmm. a lot of other stuff they do with Susan. But, like, overall, there's not a ton I would be interested in going back to, except, wow, uh, I really liked uh, all of the jokes. It was really funny. Yeah, it's I, I kind of think of this book as comfort food, but, like, that's that's being disingenuous because there's a there's a lot of texture to it. there's a lot more to it than I would normally expect in a plate of comfort food. It's not that it's just simple and comfortable. It's complicated as hell and comfortable. But at the same time, yeah, there's 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 a lot less of the the big shit going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very it's a more modest scale. Uh, 
Discworld book, which is something to say about one that ends with uh, death telling music that he could end the universe at any time. But it is modest. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Hmm. But it's still fun. I enjoyed it a lot. It was good. What was the political thing you were going to make a note of? Oh, I was just in the episode. So this isn't really like political, I guess. It's more just like I found it really interesting how it was kind of this look into what. So this is something I was thinking about with moving pictures as well, but it's much more apparent here, which is that like Mm -hmm. Pratchett has kind of, you get this sort of like, okay, here is my idea of what music is. Music is these things and rock and roll is these things. Like music, rock is, uh, as I said, made the joke about ska, but not even really a joke. Like, yeah, that's kind of what Pratchett thinks it is in a lot of ways. And, and it's mm-hmm. fascinating to see that just because, like, you don't have any of the context for it, as I said. Like, there's no there's no history to it. There's no world behind it. So instead, it just becomes this weird thing of, like, why is this the world? Why is the world like this? Why Why is music like this in this world? And so you get a lot of, like... Like, we know in the real world that, like, a lot of rock and roll has has its history in African-American music. And that, like, a ton of what Elvis did directly took his inspiration from that. And, like, there's a whole complex history there that we probably don't want to get into. But we could, potentially. But, like, that's that's the thing you could talk about. But in here, you get Elvis, but you don't get that. You don't get the mm-hmm. history of who he is. You don't get the history of any of this stuff. You just get, haha, it's Elvis. And so it's not really a problem. Like, it, it's certainly not a complaint that I had about the book, but it makes it this really fascinating thing where, like, they've completely stripped the context from music as something with history, with, like, a story to it. And now it's just. Pratchett going, here's all of my best gags, and here's what I think music is. Haha, don't you think music is blank, blank, and blank? And like, I, it just feels weird. Like, where, where's the history of it? It's weirder when, like, there's a joke in the book about rap, rap music, where they call it mm-hmm. rap music and stuff. And that one's a lot stranger because, like, there's a lot of history behind that that I know, and Pratchett's just putting yeah. it in this random English setting with, no real was, meaning behind it. That was sort of my least favorite jokes in the book. Not just yeah. because it was like, oh, yikes, Terry. But I also feel like because... My brain, I think I feel like my brain just, like, glanced off of it. Yeah, like, also because, like, like hip-hop music is so, isn't just, like, a mutation of rock music. That's, yeah. that's doing it a gross disservice to its actual origins and history and culture. I don't know. It's, that's so weird. But also, like... I don't know. I I would love to read a Discworld book about hip hop. I also would love for that book to not be written by Terry Pratchett. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, good news. If it's going to be written, <laughs> it's it's it, 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 but yeah, really. It's it's just like a thing where it's like it's not like a huge horrible problem that I had with the book where it wasn't readable or any of this stuff. It's just something I kept thinking about as I read it how like in these books where Pratchett removes something from its culture entirely to shove it into Discworld in this way, mm-hmm. where not like with like future books, like the truth or such, 
where you kind of have like, okay, here's the story of what's going on here with Discworld. Like, yeah, uh, like the newspaper is invented and it plays out in Discworld how Discworld would have it play out. But rather the style he does here where it's like, yes, we're making a joke about music and music shows up. It's rock music. It's very strange to have this just... All music is rock music, I guess. It all comes from this. You have a ton of assumptions below the surface that Pratchett really doesn't want to analyze in any way. And mm-hmm. I think it's definitely to his detriment at times like this. I think it gets a lot better as time goes they, on, oh, but God, here this, especially... It's this would have like, been a very different book if rock music had been just like this weird synthesis of... a. A human, a troll, and a dwarf start playing, just start jamming together and accidentally stumble on something, mm-hmm. rather than just here's a plot device that's going to that's going to move the rest of the story forward. Yeah, but that also would have required a lot more research, and I'm going to be honest, I don't think Terry Pratchett would have been the right person to write that. Well, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it was. Uh, uh, having said that, you know what else I really enjoyed about this book? Uh, I really enjoyed the bit where it was like, "Hey, uh, I really enjoyed the bit where they went to the weird magic store. That was really funny." Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I wanted to learn everything about every single piece of uh, musical instrument in there. Everything seems so cool. There's a million stories in that store, yeah. and also I love that like we get a little callback to like the joke from the Light Fantastic, where like. Glod is like, I'll bet this is one of those mystical, magical stores that shows up right when you need it. And then suddenly the next day it's gone without ever having existed. And then Cliff is like, uh, no, actually it's just on the other side of the street. You remembered wrong. And Glob was like, oh. And then later in the book, we find out that no, it is one of those stores. It's just that it only trades places like on different sides of the street. Like that's that's all it does, which is very funny. Yeah, you get no, you get it, just it, the joke of like the owner just being kind of a weird asshole, and it's so funny. It's really really mm-hmm. funny that the owner is just like, "Haha, yeah, no, I'm just gonna switch sides of the street. Why? Because I want to bother people." It, it's genuinely a great bit. Oh, I, th- I thought she was it was an accident. Like she like yeah, she like pulled oh, the lever. She's like, oh, I you know, it's a part I she like my own head next. Yeah, like she it's a part she like goes around all these other places and she forgot what side of the street in Ankhor Pork she was on. Oh, okay, I didn't get that, but that's that's hilarious. It was great. I also yeah. really loved the whole bit about like them finding the tag on it, and this is the one that had the tag of one. Like that's that's one. great. That's great. Oh, I liked it. Yeah. So speaking of liking it. Uh, it's time to assign a numerical value to how much exactly we liked it. Um, let's go to our big old ranking list. Woo! Board, board, board. Board, board, board. So, uh, let me start with probably its clearest antecedent. I'm not going to ask if it's better than moving pictures because obviously it's better than moving pictures. (laughs) Would we, would we say it's better than our number six, Mort? where i was gonna guess too like i personally i would put it above mort i because i think it i would put it right below mort personally because it's i I would say it tells mort's story worse than mort but i would i would certainly say it's better than witches abroad hmm i could see that i hmm i think that i think i definitely think it's funnier and better written than mort but also Mm. i feel like 
Mort has a more... It has a better kind of through line, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, it is very clearly standing on Mort's shoulders, so it's it's hard for me to judge which one's better. Yeah. Yeah, it... I, I, mean, I, could, it, sorry. I could see it being a little bit worse. I enjoyed it more than Mort. Like, mm-hmm. I, I found it funnier a lot of the time. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I really admire what Mort did. Well, let's ask this. Mm-hmm. Do we think it could potentially be better than Guards Guards? Probably not. But that's the mm. thing, right? Is like, the plot was thin, but I, I did genuinely enjoy a lot of the jokes. But I feel weird, like, I, I would feel weird recommending a book based on the strength of, yeah, no, they, they make a lot of Blues Brothers references in this, and I enjoyed that. Like, it's a very re- think... Ready Player One reason to recommend something. And it's funnier yeah. than that, don't get me wrong, but like... I think uh... that... I definitely think it's better than Witches Abroad, for sure. For sure. I don't know if it's better than Guards, because Guards, Guards, while early on, still is pretty, uh, it's pretty well-rounded, is the thing. Yeah. Uh, I think I could go for a number seven spot for it, just below Mort. I think I could argue that this is better than anything except Lords and Ladies. I could argue that, but I don't really feel like I have a good reason to. Why would I? It's fine. Like, the book is pretty good. I, I don't really I'd feel still like I put it to. in my, like... I'd still put it in, like, my the good shit category, to mm. be clear. Like, it definitely yeah. counts as part of the good shit. But, yeah. uh... It's just not the most essential good shit. It's it's a little lower in there. There's nothing to... Yeah, I, nothing to sneeze at with that. I am definitely... Like I said earlier, this is probably one of the ones I would use when trying to introduce somebody to Discworld, depending on where their tastes are. If somebody is just after the lighter stuff, I would definitely hand this to them. So, yeah, it, it was definitely going to go inside the good category alongside Mort. It was always just, like, which direction it was going to be in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah, it was good. It was a, it was a romp. Very nice. Mm-hmm. And now, next episode, we have interesting times to look forward to, which... Oh, crap. Will... Not score as high, I'm already guessing. <laughs> I'm I, okay. to see what our at, old friend Rinsman is least, up to again. I'm at actually, least it's not Eric. I'm actually really excited for this. I have a reason for it. Because Oh boy. I feel like we've entered into a bit of a new era of Discworld. Where you're kind <laughs> of seeing a lot of books that like even this, I mean this feels like moving pictures, but with good jokes or such. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is the point where Pratchett could potentially write a Rincewind book that I found funny. I don't know if he yeah. will, but like I'm excited to see if he. If he, I'm excited to see him try. Do you, are you saying uh, may we live in interesting times? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> You'll find that out in the first sentence of the book. Why? Oh, okay. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> But but I, but I am genuinely like really curious about how this book goes, so to speak. Yeah, I I literally could not tell you a single plot point from it. I don't remember anything from it. I'm basically going. I know I've read it before. Uh, all I can remember is that the cover of the library copy that I read when I was a teenager had a photo as the background of the uh, cover design that I recognized as the roof of the uh, Air Force Chapel at the Air Force Training Academy in Colorado, uh, which is a weird poll, but uh, 
Yeah, I recognized it. Huh. I used to live in Colorado, and I had been there. So I was like, oh, I know what that is. Um, that's completely irrelevant to the contents of the book. It just was interesting, I guess. I don't know. I don't remember any of the book at all. It'll be fun, I guess. Probably not. It might be fun. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay. I remember it being bad, but I don't remember which way it's bad. I'm looking forward to seeing how this gets <gasps> fucked up. So, so, you, yeah. so looking at the cover was interesting times. Mm-hmm. I had an interesting time looking at the cover and remember the other interesting time when I went to a military church. So yeah, that's something. I've been to the same um, military church. Here. You're not alone. Hey. Huh. Anyways, uh, we don't have any fan mail this week. So I will take this time uh, to say that if you do, if you did agree or disagree with our ranking or you want to talk about soul music or anything else about old sir tp or the Discworld series feel free to drop us a line at uh disc at hypnovire.us that's d-i-s-c at sign h-y-p-n-o-v-i-r dot u-s uh we also have a twitter at discpod on twitter and we also have a mastodon account discpod at queer dot party you can find us there uh feel free to comment or send a little note or something it's always nice to hear from you folks uh, always good to, this is where I would say like, ah, oh, leave us a review on, uh, Apple podcasts. If I gave a shit about that, I don't really give a shit about that, but it's nice to hear, uh, people say, oh, good podcast. Instead, on the social media casually recommend this podcast to your friend in conversation. If they talk about enjoying podcasts about books or whatever, be annoying mm. about us in yeah. that way, instead of, uh, giving us a review online. Yeah tell, yeah. yeah. tell your fellow TikTok adults about it. I don't know. Yeah. Tell your fellow TikTok geriatrics about us. Everybody <laughs> at the senior home making that content. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many, many Terry Pratchett podcasts out there. You've decided to listen to this one. That Good means taste. you are exceptionally cool. You should find other people who are exceptionally cool and share it with them. <laughs> um, yeah. This has been disc covers covering wanna, soul music oh before we go oh, I sorry wanna, i want to plug something i don't know if everybody else wants to oh, keep yeah. doing a bit we're getting we plug something else but i like doing yeah. that bit yeah, i'm gonna plug something me too i was gonna say we're getting to our personal pluggables uh-huh. so if you want to go first feel free no no uh y'all can go first okay well i'm iris j you can find me at iris j comics on twitter on mastodon i'm on co-host now if you do the co-host thing haven't had much to post on there since a lot of my work is NDA right now, but, uh, you know, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, I am, I've got another podcast that's going to be coming out probably around the same time as this episode called Sand Job, where me, my partner Nero, and our friend Jesse get together to read through the entire series of Sandman comic books by Mr. Neil Epic Divorce Man Gaiman. Um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, we're actually recording the episode for that tomorrow, so I'm, this is going to be a whole podcasty fucking weekend for me, which is very hey. really exciting. Welcome yeah. to the party. So, uh, yeah, I'll be posting a link to that uh, on our DiscPod Twitter later. It's I I don't I don't really have like I, I'm not going to say it's part of the same podcast family, but it's you know it's I'm reading shit and we're talking about it, so that's something. It's part of the podicule. Uh, yeah, the potty. That's that's a great term for it. The potty cule. 
Um, and as for the unrelated thing that I was going to recommend, uh, I'd like to recommend Jordan Peele's new film, Nope. I saw it in theaters recently. Uh, that movie is fucking awesome. Probably my movie of the year. Going to call it right here. I'm not going to say literally anything else about what happens in it or what it's about. It's good, though. If you like spooky shit, check it out. Uh, I'm, I'm Juniper. I'm not doing anything right now that I can think of, although maybe I will eventually. Uh, I might start another podcast about Netrunner if anyone cares about Netrunner. Uh, and Ooh. you should care about Netrunner because it's really, really good. I, I enjoy watching you be gay about Netrunner. It's, it's, yeah, it is that's the best. Very fun. This is not my recommendation because I have something else I want to recommend, but Netrunner is the best card game ever made and it's being run by a fan collective that's doing it better. For more information, uh, stay tuned to next episode when I'll, or a couple episodes from now when I'll have a podcast to plug, hopefully. Um, <laughs> God, I look forward to that. <laughs> But uh, for now, yeah, uh, I'm Juniper. And my thing that I'm going to plug, uh, in keeping with the jokes I've made today, uh, last year, you should, listen, you should listen to the album that came out last year, Ska Dream, uh, which is a fucking amazing album, where Jeff Rosenstock, who's an old ska slash ska punk guy, took a punkish folk punk album that he made uh, the year before and was just like, for April Fool's Day this year, I'm going to rewrite the entire album as if it was ska just every single song becomes a ska song and it's absolutely amazing because he put all the possible time into it and actually made a really fantastic album that's just a great ska album it's yeah great. i was gonna say ska dream legitimately kicks ass it's just a just great a album rules <sighs> it's fucking awesome yeah great stuff <sighs> yeah hell yeah I am still Belina. I am still probably easier found in the show notes than anywhere else. Uh, I I don't know if I count this as a plug, but I think like 80 hours the last two weeks have gone into me just playing Deep Rock Galactic, but also I was fighting through a depressive, depressive spiral. So like, take that as a grain of salt. It's a good way to lose a lot of time when you're feeling bad about yourself. Mm. I have heard Deep Rock Galactic is a very fun game. I have to give it a try sometime. Mm, it's good. Yeah, it got rocks, it got stone. What more do you need? Yeah, I've, I've heard it got dwarves. Yeah, space dwarves. If you like Wait. dwarves, and chances are you do because you're listening to this show, check it out. This reminds me of one of my favorite jokes that I never actually got to mention, which is uh, I, I found the joke in the book about... Uh, I found the joke in the book where uh, they're coming up with names for the band, and uh, Glod is like, let's name it Gold! He's like, no, that, that's not a good name. Well, how about Silver? No, let's not go with any heavy metal names. <laughs> that, that, that absolutely hilarious. Ah, uh, uh, fuck. That one got right past me until right now. It's very good. <sighs> uh, I have been the internet's beloved Princess Grace. You can find my writing programs, podcast posts, and everything else is fit to plug at princess.software. Uh, for, well... We've talked about the Blues Brothers enough, so I'm not going to recommend that. But uh, I have been laid up for the past week or so with wrist injuries. And the entire time, I've done nothing but watch JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which I can hardly recommend. Fuck yeah. JoJo's rules. Also, I thought for a second you were going to recommend Blues Brothers 2000, the sequel. I would oh, never. Oh, no. I, no. I, have, I have met Blues Brothers 2000 apologists who say it's doing its best. I've never seen I, it. I, I have been warned away from it. I don't know it. about that. 
We should watch it sometime. Uh, it's a movie that was really made. And when you see it, you'll be like, I don't think that movie is real. But it certainly is. <laughs> I'm looking we forward to We all have to, to contend with the fact that Blues Brothers 2000s exists in this universe. Uh, watch the first yeah. Blues Brothers movie, though. It's really good. The first one's classic. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially, if you, especially if you read this book and you thought... And you didn't understand all the jokes about, you know, we're on a mission from Glad, and then the whole back and forth about, I don't see why getting a mission from some dwarf is so special. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks for joining us. Join us next time when we do interesting times. Until then, uh, diskettes and diskinos, please keep on disking. Truly it was a soul music. Really, there was more than one music in it, but you know. There was at least several musics. Well, Future there... Iris put the closing music in here. <laughs> it should be, you know, coming up. <laughs> Follow your dreams, folks. <laughs> <laughs>